All right. Well, Brando, we're back for another year with the people. <laughs> Fresh show. This is the exact same thing my wife and I say on January 1st. Well, we're back. For another year with the people. We got to do it all again. But we say, yeah, fresh new shit show. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got my uh, I got my little brush with uh, sickness and COVID out of the way. I should, looking. Uh, you shouldn't even be talking about this, dude, because you're cursing yourself. You're going to get another round of it. The first rule of COVID club is you don't talk about COVID club. You know what I'm saying, yo? No, I couldn't possibly get it again. I've I've got the vaccine <laughs> and antibodies. How can I get it again? But that which shall not killeth me maketh me stronger. But I'm looking forward to 2023. Yeah. We're going diving this weekend, making the first great January quarry run of 2023 invitations out there to the people to join us on this uh, upcoming saturday the 14th of january i guess it's only for the uh hardy ones because it's gonna be cold water i think it's gonna be a little chilly it will be chilly but but the weather's been a bit warm yeah we've had a very mild winter yeah, yeah so in in that respect it's looking pretty nice and i know we've got we've got cave diving month coming up here very soon and we did, you know, to start off 2023, we did our little look back clip show of our top 300 episodes. And um, I came across this article recently put out by Darcy Kieran from Scubanomics that, you know, if we if we have a talk about the look back at 2022 and a peek into 2023 as far as the scuba diving market goes i i think this is the this is about the only time to really do it you know this isn't going to make sense to do this in <laughs> april no it won't make any sense so i say yeah let's give it a go it's a it's it's got some interesting stuff in here a lot of stuff that we've talked about you know over our past 2022 and anybody out there that uh, hasn't seen darcy's scubanomics page you can look him up on google just google scubanomics or it's it's on a it's on a medium site so medium.com forward slash scubanomics but he's been posting stuff for a couple of years now about about stuff that's just going on in the dive industry he's got some pretty cool little articles and stories that you know i enjoy reading from time to time and this kind of recaps his 2022 and some stuff that he's done in partnering with good old michael menduno and in-depth magazine kind of looking at just like an an analysis of the overall economics of diving cool I'm surprised no one else has done this sooner as far as uh, concentrate on the the uh, business aspect of the community, the industry aspect. Well, there was a publication that went out to most dive shops would receive dive training magazine, you know, on a, on a very regular basis. And then, no, there was a special magazine that would be sent directly to the dive centers called Dive Center Business. Now, for a long time, they would 
dive training would send out just like a, a folded in half, like six to ten like yellow pages with like some industry, you know, dive shop tips. <laughs> tips and tips and ideas, you know, uh um and then you know they, they really turned it into a full industry-based magazine. But other than that, you know, you're right, you know. I mean, SSI had a had a magazine that was really similar to this called I think it was called Selling Scuba. And then um you know, Patty did have the, you know, the undersea journal that comes to dive shops. But as far as like really attacking the market overall you know he's you know really like, like the only one really trying to put out a you know just a clean honest look unbiased look at the economics of diving and he says in this article here are some juicy results you may have missed from seven dive industry surveys in 2022 and a look at questions that we want to investigate in 2023 Darcy says that 2022 was a productive year for the collaboration between In-Depth and Scubanomics, and it was the first year. In 2021, Michael Menduno of In-Depth Magazine and Darcy worked together to produce their first ever In-Depth analysis of the economics of being a dive instructor. He says it was in success in part due to the numerous dive training agencies and dive industry professionals who helped them recruit a large sample of dive instructors. And many thanks. And their goal was one survey per quarter, but they ended up producing seven of them. Whoa. And uh, he kind of gives a recap of the seven surveys that they did. And... The first one was well, on scuba diving and panicking. Let me ask you something. Uh, I, I've, I've done a cursory glance of this article. Were you surprised by any of the information that you, you found? Or not really? Well, a lot of it, I would say, does mirror a lot of the stuff that we've been looking at ourselves. Yeah, that's well, that was kind of what I was just going to say is... Everything they're talking about, the numbers here kind of, shouldn't say they're talking about, everything we've been talking about, the numbers back up our uh, stance is, our stances, <laughs> right? The, the only one that is really different, I would say, is, you know, the, uh, the emerging reliance on the computers and transmitters. And the, and, the, and the acceptance of it. All right. Anyway, we'll talk about that. I was just curious if, if you were surprised or were you, uh, hey, this is exactly what we've been saying. Well, to a certain degree, right? Yeah, it's, it's interesting how they're looking forward to 2023 as well, uh, much like uh, we're looking at, you know, at, at sitting at the business of diving place as well of what's coming next now we've done a couple of articles brando about panic and and keeping your cool and the mind of diving and um dr laura walton did an article titled don't panic understanding the causes and remedies of diver panic and these guys did a survey their first one of the year in relation to this in-depth article 
you know, over the years, we've done a couple of panic articles. Like recently we did um, the Edge of Panic back on um, episode 269. And we did an article, episode 119, about panic prevention. And in this article, he mentions that 69% of recreational divers... And 71% of tech divers have stated having experienced near panic during a dive where they were concerned that it could turn into a full-blown panic, but were actually able to stay in control. And 12% Brando of recreational divers and 7% of tech divers stated in having experienced panic to the point of losing control of what they were doing. He says more than one in 10 divers have had a full-blown panic underwater. Perhaps training and how to prevent panic should be a serious part of instructor development courses. It should be addressed, shouldn't it? Uh, most, most definitely should be addressed. And I, I know that everybody is going to say, well, it's right there in chapter three. Stop, <laughs> breathe, sentence. think, yes. act. It's, it's right there. It's got boldface print and everything. It's even a question on the quiz and exam. Yeah. I think what we start to see and realize is, you know, addressing something like that really isn't just a matter of, making it a, a question on the quiz and the final exam, <laughs> right? Because it goes so much deeper than just knowing the answer. It's a matter of when the situation arises underwater, you have to have been trained to understand how your brain works. And that takes a lot of time and practice and right. continual development. Well, yeah, understanding what's going on as your your breathing becomes more rapid and your heart rate increases and and your brain starts uh not thinking straight that's that's understanding that that's panic setting in will help you to remedy with with that stop think breathe kind of thing well right i mean it goes back to like the old i was just gonna say you got to recognize when it's happening when it's beginning and stop it there not when it's too late to stop it. <laughs> right. It's like it goes back to the old Mike Tyson quote, right? It, everybody's got to get a plan until they get punched in the face. In the face, right. Everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, that's what we got. Yeah. And, and underwater, when you get punched in the face, you know. Whoa. <laughs> that's a bad place to find out that, you know, you, you go to your... You, you you fall to your knees and, and you lose your whole entire game plan and you, you can't think anymore and you just get the living shit beat out of you. Underwater, it's not just a 10 count and you lose the fight. It I mean that means it's gonna turn into a full blown panic. And when you're a hundred feet underwater and the only thing you want is to get to the mm-hmm. surface because it's the only reaction your body knows because you've never been trained. Right. Of being spooked in a way that that causes you to, you know, engage a bit of that fight or flight, and how to get intimate with that, so that you know how to keep control of it. Right, and and flight in an underwater panic situation is the last thing you want to do. The very last thing you do not want to fly out of there. That's how you get injured and possibly die. 
your brain says, I need to get out of this environment that is I find hostile right now, which is inducing my panic. And you were taught in Open Water 101, you have these go-tos <laughs> in the back of your mind, which is, I can always just drop my weight belt and bolt for the surface. It was taught to you. That was taught. Right, because that's way easier than taking two or three <laughs> days of class to talk about breathing and talk about CO2 management and how to you know, trigger your parasympathetic nervous system, not your sympathetic flight mentality, right? How to stay in control and stay in flow. That takes time and work. And what yeah, we've well, seen yeah. over the last couple of decades is they keep <laughs> shortening and shortening and shortening that, and they go, just get the beeping computer. It'll tell you when it's safe or not. <laughs> the damn beeping computer. There's a lot of things being relied upon with this damn beeping com- dive computer. I, uh, They are not the end-all, be-all. And, yeah, exactly. I mean, this is one of the things we talk about a lot, and I know we beat, you know, get on the podium and start pounding our, our fists, but... um. I mean, the numbers right here kind of back up what we're saying is people are not being trained to handle panic. The sentence and the, you know, stop, breathe, think, act, that's not enough. (laughs) That's just not enough. Well, when 70% of the diving public, and again, I don't know the, you know, the exact mechanics of this study, but I would again assume, like most stuff in the diving, there's still a lot of people that didn't message them, even though they took a large sampling, there's still a lot of the unreported out there still. But 70% have had a situation of near panic during a dive, but they were able to control it, you know, keep it from going to full-blown. And still one in 10 having a full-blown, out-of-control, lost their mind panic. 10%, that's a lot. That's a lot. I mean, when you you show up on your next dive boat down in the Caribbean, you get this 10 di- <laughs> there's 10 divers on the boat, and you're like, you go, which one of, which one, which one of these guys is going to have the full-blown panic? And then slowly, you, as, as you look each one of them in the eye, you notice that they're all looking at you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah, and, interesting. Go ahead. You know, for, for years, I mean, I, I mean, I guess I've been lucky in so much as I've gotten to walk away from teaching the the big scuba classes out of the shop. You know, the last couple of years, which which I like. I mean, I, I did it for for years of just you know, you, you show up on Tuesday night and you got a a, a fresh batch of. 10, 10 divers you got to knock through over the next couple of nights or you show up for that weekend class and you got 10 new divers you got to knock through, you know, over the course of the weekend. It's different now for me, you know, where I can have longer, slower conversations with people and they know right from the beginning that the reason they're coming to see me is because they want an education. They don't just want to get a quick a, little class. A card, yeah. They don't want to just they don't want a certification and I can have the talk with them and I can have a talk with them, you know, uh, who are bringing their kids to me and like they're not ready. Their brains not no. Their brains not in the place yet that that they know how to deal with themselves. They're not 
They're not closely in touch with themselves yet. The whole idea of jamming people through the classes produces a whole lot of issues. But yeah, it is nice when you get to that point like you are. And this is one of the reasons I completely went to training only fundamental students for the most part. And uh, that's because you can. You get to spend some time with them and you actually get to teach them diving. And you don't have this pressure if you want to call it that, from, from both the students and, and the people you're working for, your, your dive shop or whatever, uh, to finish them up so quickly that shortcuts have to be taken. You know, it, it's almost impossible, especially if you've got 10 students. How do you stop for one of the students that's having an issue? How do you stop and, and give them the time that they need and the attention they need while you've got nine other students like tapping their foot in the background going, uh, we're here waiting. And your, your boss is like, hey, we got to finish this class up. Right. It's a, it's a, it's a bad model, right? It is. And, I mean, and that's the, the next thing that they look at is that quality and safety by dive instructors about the staggering number that have admitted to what you just said about needing to cut corners and, and cutting corners along the way. You know, that, that's the beauty, in my opinion, of, of what the Essentials program, what the fundamentals did is, you know, in, in my opinion, you, in order to really learn to scuba dive, you kind of already need to be a certified diver. And then you can come to something like the Essentials, like the fundamentals, which is such a unique program that we can really take a deeper dive into what diving really is, which at the end of the day, a large part of it is, is learning about yourself, learning about your brain, how you react to situations, you know, when things go weird, you know, how do, how do you yourself really deal with it? Right. And knowing and knowing that before the situation pops up is really what we're getting into, right? You already know that you got to kick with these fins and you got a regulator and you, you got to clear water out of it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You, you got to know all that, get all that stuff out of the way. But now is when I can really teach you to be a confident diver in the water. Right. But how many divers know this coming out of open water? <laughs> well, when 70% of them are still having near panic situations. But do they put the two and two together or do they think, Oh, this is normal. This is how it's supposed to be. I'm supposed to be in uh, near panic or p in full-blown panic mode while I'm scuba diving. I'm supposed to be scared shitless every time I go in the water. And How many people think that? Yeah, how many people get in the water? That's just a normal dive. Right. That's, and, and then when they come back, it's like, whew, I made it. And, the, <laughs> and that's where the real joy comes in of scuba diving for them, living <laughs> right, after right. the process i don't think that's that's not how this is supposed to be enjoyed I, to me i mean I, I won't tell anybody how to live their life but i i remember it back in the back in the day back in the 90s you know taking <laughs> taking a couple of those first classes outside of the recreational world right and, right. and it, that's how it was i mean it was like russian roulette with a with an, with an <laughs> with o2 bottle tank, you know yeah. it, was, it was just <laughs> And I remember going, wow, this is, man, I don't know. I don't think this is for me, you know, yeah. back, back in those days, you know. And, and then I, you know, ran across, you know, you and I started hooking up. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I remember those days of like, hey, there's a smarter way out there. Well, yeah, that's that was always the thing. Every 
I mean, from the moment I, I got into instructor school even, because I went to instructor school at the same time I went to cave diving school, training, whatever. And both of those were in search of what's missing. Because, the missing link. Right. Every time I dove, every time I was in the water, there's something missing here because this is not right. This is, it shouldn't feel like this. There should be a better way. And we were right. There was a better way. There's a way better way. And that's, you know, it's like a reformed smoker. You hate those people, right? Because they're obnoxious to smokers because they're always talking, hey, you know, you can quit that. There's a better way to, to live life kind of thing. I feel, you know, people probably look at us like that. We're a little obnoxious on our podium saying there's a better way. It's more fun. Well, when you've spent years looking for the missing link and you find it, you know, when uh, when you've when you've done so many types of diving and you've que- you question like why why do is every type of diving I get into seem so completely different with gear and thinking and planning and shouldn't <laughs> there be something consistent to right. it all that, that just makes it all work so that when I do the most demanding it's kind of the same as when I do the most basic. And when you find a, a way to keep it all linear and thinking and, and grow together. Right. Well, when you can use your previous training as as a building block for further training and, and further development versus you chucking everything out the, the w- window or door uh, when you take another more advanced course or to train for a new environment, you've got to, okay, all that gear that you had, can't use any of it. You you need new, complete set of gear, and all those techniques you learned, the mindset you had, completely useless now. You chuck that out the window. <laughs> uh, so you're not really building on on your previous training and experience. You're you're starting all over every time you move up. Versus what we talk about, which is. From day one, you're putting blocks on at the base of your pyramid of diving knowledge and diving skill, right? And those little base blocks stay there for your entire career. They, you don't remove them and fill them with something else. It, right. Does that make sense? Or am I, is my analogy to, too far out, <laughs> too, too ridiculously stupid? <laughs> Reel it back in. Let's bring it back in. No, you got you, you need a base of of diving skills, you know, and, and I, I think that's the, the big thing that we'd always looked at is when, you know, when the model was learn the, the, the very basic minimum to scuba dive and then reach to all these like wild satellites of, of thinking and try to come back and bring it in without even building a solid base. That's how people, you know, get beyond their level of comfort and ability with uh, just a certification card because they looked at it, they they sampled it and tasted it, you know, one little weekend, <laughs> and then now they've got a card that they can go dive any shipwreck, <laughs> you know, in the world. You know, and you wonder how people, you know, get themselves to a place beyond where the they're really comfortable mm-hmm. and have that panic, you know. And then when we, we look at the second story, right, so the second story that they did was, am I a bad apple? And this was a quality and safety survey that they did by diving instructors 
And Darcy says that this was a self-assessment and introspection by scuba diving instructors about their behavior on the quality and safety fronts. And he says 26% of scuba diving instructors admit to having cut corners in their, te- in their teaching activities. Only 26%? Really? He said, Lying he bastards. <laughs> he says, let that sink in for a minute. That's more than one in four. It's almost one in three among recreational diving instructors. 31%, 31% of recreational yeah. diving instructors compared to one in five, 19% of tech instructors. Perhaps in 2023, we should find a way to focus on quality instead of how cheap and how fast we can get the training done. Whoa, wait a minute. Wait a minute, Whoa. Darcy. <laughs> I've heard this before. I've heard this before 20 plus years ago. <laughs> but, and people have been screaming it from the rooftops too, though. Small groups, but the people screaming it are pretty hardcore divers. I, I'm just curious who's, who's on the other side of this argument? Who are we debating? Who do you think we're debating? Who, because there's somebody on the other side of this argument because nothing's been done, really. Not in mainstream. Well, you know, when, when people are worried about the money. Well, yeah, it's, you got to. You have to worry about the money. But I have a better idea. How about you charge I, I do. You charge a real, uh, an actual, not a bargain basement Groupon fucking rate. You charge a real rate to pay your scuba instructor what they're worth. Not not giving them twenty bucks a student for for the six meetings they've got to meet. Hey, we, 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 there's a box of donuts there too for them. <laughs> I, I, I I covered breakfast as well. Wait, you expect you expect a scuba instructor to earn a respectable living? <laughs> yeah, kind of. Um, I mean, they're expecting you to make it on tips, which they shouldn't. They should pay you a fair wage for being a professional. Right. And and you should be, you know, when you're paid so low to do a class and you throw on that time restriction. Right. Right. And, and then, like, there you are. You've got the struggling student that, you know, hates clearing their mask, can't stand water on their face, can't stand water by the nose. Um, that needs to get, finish up the open water because they were, you know, looking at buying the $999 gear package. So they're getting pressure from the shop. You know that this is how the little corners get cut. Yeah. There's no motivation to not cut. Right. You're, you're just, hurry up, get these through. Yeah. When there's another batch sitting there, right. you know, for you to, that you, that you got to get done. And you're like, well... I, I guess he got the water out of his mask. Okay, you know we'll let the we'll let the open water instructor deal with that. You know when he gets down to Grand Cayman for the dives. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times you know, you know I've seen feedback come back from instructors down in the in the Caribbean that have sent messages up up to us of like, wow. Thank you so much for uh, sending these students down. Like, clearly you guys put time into the development of this student because they were really well prepared, which 
like in one, on one hand, I go, wow, that that really makes uh, you know me feel great. Like I, I've imparted some good good thinking on the on the part of uh, other instructors that that come in and out of the shop that that I work with, right? But it, what strikes me even more is, you know, how many completely unprepared divers these instructors must see down doing this referral process that they would take the time to write this message. Yeah. Like the, the overwhelming majority, they know, <laughs> exactly. they know they're just getting handed a, a just a shit show every single week. <laughs> well, I, I, that's not a job I would envy. You know, interestingly, when you look at one of the questions that they asked about what methods do instructors use to help prevent them from drifting away from safe business practices, industry standards, and laws, and survey participants could select from a bunch of different answers. And 75% said that they review safe business practices, industry standards, and laws. Mm-hmm. Over 60% said that they actively seek feedback from their colleagues. Well, that's good, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Uh, 42% said that they co-teach which is a great way, you know. I know you and I have been, you know, big fans of co-teaching because it, it really helps keep you on track and cover bases and and give a better overall experience. Right. Yeah. Well, getting input from other professionals, other people in your uh, area of expertise is always helpful. Yeah. And- yeah. To, to to become a better, smarter instructor that's providing the, the best to the students. Yeah, for sure. Right. And see things you might not see. I mean, see it from a different point of view. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Especially when, uh, I mean, that's what, you know, I spend the majority of my time, you know, teaching nowadays is teaching people to see the stuff that they're not seeing. So I, I myself know that I've got a particular vantage point and as, and as open as I'm trying to have it, they're still having another set of eyes is still going to pick up something. You'd be foolish, foolish not to think that, right? Thirty, nearly thirty-six percent say that they have a mentor instructor. Oh, there that, you that go. They, they talk to and work with and and constantly try to improve their game. I think that's that's a key component to becoming good at anything. You know, especially scuba instruction and scuba diving is to have a mentor, not just a an instructor have a mentor but you as a diver you should have a mentor as a mentor you should definitely have a diver and i think it should be one of the biggest things that's talked about in instructor school is having not thinking that as in now that you're an instructor you're at the top of the top of the mountain (laughs) like like knowing that you like you can still for mm, let's see how long have i been doing it decades you can Uh still keep learning and getting better like i mean that's what you want to keep doing and that same number that said that they have a mentor said that they audit courses provided by other instructors which is still another thing that one of my favorite things to do is to audit classes with other instructors whom i am friends with whom i i know just to, to check out how they're doing things but in particular instructors that you know i look up to and want to continue to learn from Right. And well, I think that's something also the the mentorship, the whole mentorship idea, it should be pushed a little bit. The idea that we certify them, then like just cut the cord and you're off on your own. That to me is part of the problem we have. 
that's part of the panic issues you have in divers. It's part of divers quitting because they're not going anywhere. They're not, you know, progressing in their skills, skill set, whatever, skill level. And it's work. And they feel like I lived is the mission of the dive as opposed to I really uh, explored the underwater environment and, and, you know, saw something really cool or experienced something really cool. Right. Well, when the focus is on selling the certification class in a little plastic card, mentoring doesn't fit the business model. Yeah, it doesn't because it's hard to put a price on it. (laughs) 27% said that they use quality evaluation processes in addition to one of their training agencies. And 25% nearly said that I ask another instructor to audit and evaluate my teaching. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah which is a, a great way to get really good feedback on how you're performing as an instructor. Are you doing the things that you think you do, like at the end of the day, you know, when you tell everybody about your class, you know, from a, from a third-person perspective, that might be slightly off, you know, so getting that perspective from time to time is a great way to keep you in check. Um, Darcy says that between co-teaching, auditing, and having a mentor, it appears that colleagues are a significant part of a support system for quality scuba courses. Yeah, well, they are. Finding a dive a dive buddy yeah. or a group of buddies, that's tough. It's difficult. Yeah. I mean, and to me, it's like having a real instructional team versus just having a dive instructor. You know, in that, they had also asked, what are the impediments to scuba diving instructors consistently providing a quality, safe experience to their student divers? Darcy says that, not surprisingly, 60% said that it was time. And profitability, 40%. (laughs) That were the direct impediments to quality scuba training. Other notable uh, factors he mentions were the seriousness of students themselves, which is, is a huge one in my opinion, but the, uh, the lack of rental gear availability, if more trainings required, the quality of rental gear, difficulty in finding pools, which is definitely a, a big issue in my opinion as well, and a conflict with the shop management expectations. But here, I mean, this is something that I mentioned from time to time, you know, that a lot of scuba students out there need to take some of this responsibility themselves, right, is, you know, in today's day and age, you know, with as much information that's out there, you know, when you sit there and you see that there is quality education available at a higher price and you keep choosing the $99 Groupon special, I mean, you, the student, you, the diver out there, have to realize that that's part of the problem as well. You're, right? You're just right. perpetu- you're just perpetuating this this um, this this base for the shop management cutting corner you know platform to stand on. Right. Well, yeah, it just feeds itself, so it just keeps going and going. Now, the next one, Brando, was a survey about the sustainability of the environment and uh, sustainable tourism. They did this in a collaboration with Dr. Alex Brulski. Now, they found that 79% of scuba divers stated that it was vital 
for them to understand the aquatic environments and the ecology of the locations that they frequent as scuba divers. Yet, only 19% of scuba divers said that the dive instructor in their initial entry-level scuba diving certification course seemed interested in the environment. And Darcy says, so there you go. Another topic to beef up our instructor development programs. There is more to scuba diving than removing and replacing a mask. (laughs) Yeah, you think? (laughs) And again, so this is a, a matter of instructors not having enough overall time and experience themselves, right? Because they didn't open water class. They did an advanced class. They did a rescue weekend, did a week-long dive master, and bam, in a matter of a month, they're in instructor school, all out of the exact one same location. And when the instruction turns into just a a student diver mill, rather than having a, a real educational facility that can give a big, deep, rooted, well-rounded education to divers. I mean, that's the dive shop, you know, I want to be at. Something that's got a big, robust level of knowledge of people doing all different types of diving from all different places all around the world. Right. I, I can't agree with you more with that. Having skilled, experienced, knowledgeable people working is huge. It's huge. The more experience you bring to the table to pass on to the uh, the students, and not experience necessarily teaching, but actual diving experience in different environments, um, the more you've got to give to those students, the more different viewpoints you have on a, any given dive. I don't know. Can you name anything where uh, experienced, knowledgeable people aren't, <laughs> aren't what you want? <laughs> you want the most you can get. A hundred dives is just nowhere near the amount of experience needed to pass on diving to new divers. Right. And, 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 I, and I get it. Like, if, if all you do is sit around on the couch, you know, for the last 20 years, you know, eating potato chips and drinking Coca-Cola and you want to get in shape, you know what? Yeah, you can go to the YMCA and take a, uh, a free yoga class. It's a good start, right? Yeah. But, but but eventually, if you're gonna want to learn yoga, you're gonna you're gonna need a, a much deeper rooted knowledge and spend some real time with it. You know, really with with anything that you want. And why scuba has held on to as short and fast and as quick as possible, and you only need to do it once, and you're done for the rest of your life. I have no idea. I don't get it either because in, in my mind, giving them an inadequate certification class or giving them an inadequate baptism into scuba diving, I guess, is only going to make them uncomfortable in the water. And nobody's going to keep going in voluntarily being an un- in an uncomfortable state. Why would you do that? You're going to pay for that to boot? No, people will quit. And I think the survey results will probably back up what I'm saying here. It's... I mean, we, we lose a lot of people in this sport because 
They simply don't feel good in the water. They feel scared, nervous, anxious, uncomfortable. And my personal opinion, a vast majority of those feelings can be attributed to a uh, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, fast food scuba diving instruction approach. Right. And listen, I think there's a place for the wham, bam, fast McDonald's scuba instruction mm-hmm. approach. I agree. Right. I, agree. I, I I totally get it. You know, for, for people who, you know, they're afraid of that sharks are going to eat you on every dive, and they think because their ears hurt when they go on the elevator too fast, you know, that they can never scuba dive. You know, the one time they dive to the bottom of the swimming pool, their ears hurt, so they can't scuba. Right. You get all of that. Right. I get it. Do a simple, easy, quick little class. Do the program that's the the standard program out there, but it's a thirty foot class, right? You know how it should how it should be. You know this is it, and then like the community out there of of professionals needs to hold divers to that limitation. But you know it, it's you've got that basic knowledge, and the next thing you know, you're in a hundred feet of water, and there ain't no damn way in hell you're going to backtrack when you've already got a certification that takes you to 100 to let somebody tell you you need to start all over and really learn you know for the <laughs> 90 percent of the people out there you know, are, are just going to not even care about it in that survey to both dive professionals and scuba divers brando about how well they went into diving with an understanding of the environment only 15 percent of dive professionals said that their scuba training courses had prepared them well or very well regarding aquatic environments. And only 23% of scuba divers, scuba divers, said that they had been well or very well prepared to understanding the environment in which they were getting ready to dive. So far, Darcy says, this survey shows that a majority of scuba divers at all levels believe the environment to be significantly important, although they were ill-prepared. And again, it's like he said earlier, it, you know, scuba training needs to be more than this is how you put your mask on and off, right? This is more, it's more <laughs> than this is how you push the inflator button. Mm-hmm. It's got to be much more than that, as as evidenced by, you know, like I say, any essentials, fundamentals type class. You're getting trained divers in those class classes. You're getting sometimes all the way through instructor, you know, even trimix instructor. You're, that's who's coming into these classes, and they struggle. They struggle, and I, I can't tell you how many times I've had dive professionals in an essentials class that look at me after the course and go, I learned more training on this than all of these specialty cards, all of these professional level Even cards that I've got all in all in one because right. the those classes are more pushing a curriculum than they are developing a diver. Exactly. They're pushing a certification card, not creating a, a skill set in a diver. And I don't find it hilarious, but I've, it's just shocking to me that the essentials slash fundamentals type class, the only thing you're doing in those classes are basic scuba skills. You're clearing masks, you're removing and replace masks, you're learning propulsion techniques, balance, buoyancy, trim, trying to maintain team awareness, if you will, or situational awareness as well. So all of these things that you're doing, you should have been doing in Open Water 101, but like I say, we've got 10, 15, 20-year divers and instructors and tech divers coming into these classes and struggling 
Right, and then just an understanding of gear as well, because you know when we sit down at the beginning of the class and and spend an hour talking uh-huh. about a mask and right. why you know why <laughs> why you're using the mask that you're using, right? I mean, how long of a conversation do you generally end up having with somebody about why you're using this fin? Yeah. What what is this fin really doing for you? How are you applying this and really looking at something like propulsion and how it relates to your balance and trim in the water and how that relates to your buoyancy control and how that relates to your breathing. And then you look at, you know, why you're using, you know, uh, the, the dry suit you're using when the beauty of the, the educational model that you and I have been using for a while of like we're taking the time commitment out of it, right? And if we can't get through it all this weekend, well, we can't get through it all this weekend and you need right. more time, right? It, it's going to take time. This is not a weekend class, although we're here for the weekend. That doesn't mean we're going to get past one dive by the end of the weekend. I mean, I've had numerous, you know, essentials where we did six dives over a couple of days and really never got past dive one because everything, the the deep, detailed, close look at what we're all doing there's no point of going to the end if we're still struggling with the beginning you can't build on a base that's not there so if you don't have that base (laughs) you gotta get it you have to take time to build it yeah yeah now the next one that they did was close calls while scuba diving darcy says we wanted to understand scuba divers encounters with close calls and how we could better learn from sharing these diving accidents The survey found that 95% of scuba divers have personally experienced a close call while on a dive. 64% of rebreather divers have experienced a close call while diving with a rebreather. Over half, 54% of cave divers have experienced a close call while cave diving. In nearly half, 49% of tech divers have experienced a close call while tech diving. He says, so basically every single recreational diver <laughs> has experienced a close call. And half of tech divers. Mm-hmm. Now you would think it would be those those stats would be reversed. You would think tech divers. It's it's a lot more risky. Uh the environments are a lot more challenging. The amount of equipment is is on the exponential level of more. <laughs> uh, so you have all these more complex uh, ingredients for the tech diver, and yet they're at only half, only 50% are experiencing some kind of close call on a tech dive versus <laughs> almost everybody in the recreational range, has experienced a close call. <laughs> what? <laughs> right, well, that we start to look at is we're getting into a place where talking about problems and yeah. talking about mistakes is becoming more and more normal when you start leaving that recreational world. Right. Oh, yeah. Well, analysis of the diving incidents and analysis of your dive period. Uh, when you do those, the bigger dives, you're going to come up and uh, 
talk through it, what went right, what didn't go right, um, as well as the training. I think this speaks more to the training you receive going into the tech arena, if you will, right? The training is much... They start to go into how not to panic. And the other thing with tech diving is everything has to be solved underwater. So you don't have this idea in the back of your mind that if everything goes to shit, at least I can just bolt to the surface, right? So you're going to fix the problem. And and you, the training kind of emphasizes that. So they work on getting you comfortable at fixing issues or dealing with the quote-unquote close calls. Right, so instead of ignoring the fact that you might run into a problem while you're underwater, <laughs> right? It's yeah, it's actually that. part of the training. Like, so let's let's have problems underwater and that we talk. don't even that we don't even practice, right? Yeah. We just deal with, you know, make it real instead of just hiding, you know, behind the the the, the, the rosiness <laughs> of it's sea fans and new to Bronx and right. everything's pretty and everything's perfect to, to realize. No, you're entering a hostile foreign environment where science and nature is not really on your side it's it's trying to kill you every step of the way and there's a very good reality of that if if you take that for granted and just buying the most expensive gear is not the way around it it's knowing that this stuff can happen close calls do occur all the time really all the time yeah look it it's right here 95 (laughs) percent Of divers have experienced it. Let's just let's just get that in the open and and have the discussion rather than pretending that it doesn't exist. And I think this this information right here should just go in open water one oh one class and you address right. the students I, and you say I'm You're you. going to have a close call. <laughs> That's all there is to it. The statistics are here. But let's talk about how to handle it. So you can't just say stop, breathe, think, act. You have to address how do I keep that panic from setting in. Yeah, it's not a matter of just talking about it. It's it's a matter of working through issues in the water. Right, so you have to test the students. You have to, well, not just test them, but uh, they have to experience failures. And, and the instructor has to evaluate their response to the failures. And only then you can say, yeah, I'm giving you this card, or no. Absolutely, absolutely. And it's it's not a matter of saying... Failures don't exist, and if you had one, you're a bad, di- bad, bad diver. Don't bad talk about diver, it. Right. right? And uh, you know, Darcy says that shaming is not a good teaching pool. No, right? you got you've. It's got to be in the open. Unfortunately, sometimes you get this other thing too, where where the uh, near death experience is like a bragging point on uh, some divers. You know, I know divers yeah, who right, brag right. about their trips to the chambers and whatnot, and I'm like, it's not really a bragging. You know, I, I wouldn't shame you, but I also wouldn't be bragging that I'm I get bent up on a semi regular basis, right? And, and you're not talking like strange, out of the normal, right, undeserved, right. undeserved, weird yeah. phantom hits. Oh yeah, it's no. like I got cold, so I inflated my BCD <laughs> at 160 feet, shot right. to the surface. I uh, you know I wanted to get out and switch mitts, and uh, figured I'd take a leak while I was up there too. I ended up getting bent. <laughs> Yeah, 
in the survey, they also asked what type of uh, incident did you experience your close call with? And they could select more than one type. So, you, you know, it's not going to add up to 100%, but they got like 29% surfacing at the end of a dive with less gas than planned minimum. So gas planning needs work tremendously, right? Yeah, for sure. It's not just come up with 500 PSI. That's not really telling you how to do anything. That just tells you what you need to have when you're on the boat at the end of the dive. It doesn't tell you how to get from the bottom back to the boat safely and still have that, you know, when to start heading back up. It doesn't do that for you. And then 27% a major equipment problem. So, yikes, I don't know. um, Do you think it's equipment problem or a skill problem in handling equipment? To me, I think it's maybe more of handling the equipment failure induced the close call versus, you know, knowing how to handle the failure, it wouldn't be a close call. Do you see what I'm saying? Well, right. And this comes back to time in the water. Right. Right. Then we got 25% or 24.1% unplanned separation. I personally, I think that's probably much greater. (laughs) At least my own experience watching people getting separated is so easy and and happens so often. Well, eventually it turns into from, you know, accidental to just on purpose too, right? They don't even try anymore. They don't even try anymore because it's so difficult to swim and stay with a teammate because nobody's taught team diving. Well, they said stay together, James. Yeah, well, they said, (laughs) and and that's the end of it, right? You're not taught it, how to do it. You're just told you have to have a buddy. Stay and stay together. (laughs) Which together gets looser and looser and looser, and we find out that, well, we we never got separated from the entire Pacific Ocean. (laughs) So technically, we stayed together. 21... 0.6% of uncontrolled buoyant ascent. So they lost control of their buoyancy. One one out of five, more than one out of five divers lost control of the buoyancy. Got lost underwater, 21%. Excessive CO2, hypercapnia, from (laughs) basically overbreathing, working too hard underwater. This should be in open water 101. You do not work underwater. Commercial divers do. They got helmets on. Scuba divers do not work underwater. Yeah, it's a bad place to be building CO2 at multiple addas of pressure. Right. It's a it's a downward spiral that it's, it's going to be really hard to climb out of. Right, because it feeds itself and to make it worse. The more CO2 you have, the more you want to breathe, the quicker your respiration goes and the less efficient it gets. So you get rid of less and less CO2, which increases your urge to breathe. So at the end of the day there, what you got is a uh, endless cycle. That only gets worse and worse to you. Either pass out or bolt from panic. Um, 20% physically out of gas on a dive. Yikes. 19% entangled or entrapped during a dive. Wow. Have you ever been entangled or trapped? I mean, I've got, I've accidentally touched maybe a line, caught my uh, knife on my waist belt on a line as I was going over it. I was a little too close. But I've never really gotten uh, entangled. Or trapped. You know, I've got, I got tangled with a line inside of a shipwreck. Nice. The, the guy reeling it kind of lassoed my Was that SPG. Me? Was that me? Lassoed my SPG. <laughs> no, it wasn't you. It wasn't you. But I remember, I remember like trying to swim and uh, uh, getting stuck. 
and I remember easily, I mean, it could have been, because we were in a tight spot, you know, it easily could have turned into a, oh shit, I'm stuck. Yeah. Right. I'm, I mean, even, even in experienced people, the mind can start painting a picture of bad things happening, you know, if you're not in control. And that's where the panic sets in. But uh, 13.6% mild, severe DCS, 13%, excuse me, 13% major narcosis, whether nitrogen or CO2. Right. Now, I know you've been major, majorly narked. Did you recognize it as you were going deeper and deeper? No. It's kind of, it, it just kind of just comes on right right especially if you're if you're heading down it's at kind of like fast rate. it's kind of like the old uh dollar beer night you know you don't, <laughs> you, don't rec- you don't recognize it on beer two i didn't feel three, it for the first 12 four, <laughs> five right but when you uh add up all those bottles you go how do we get to 15 <laughs> exactly it, it hits you mm-hmm. but i mean th- this is an issue of not having the time and training to teach about, you know, proper gas planning, proper gas, gas, to use. gas selection, right. you know, mm-hmm. selection of gases is what I mean, you know, right? Right, exactly. And and the CO two issue again is working, and there is no working underwater. That's that's just the way it has to be. You can't really. You don't want to be building up that CO two. That CO two is, is bad news. Three percent switching to the wrong gas mix. So these are obviously tech divers. It's it's pretty low percentage, right? Three uh, percent, but still, yeah, still, still happening. Personal health issues, oxygen toxicity, and hypoxia are all at two and a half percent each. Interesting. Looking at that, we could say the vast majority of these could have been handled in training. Right, for sure, for sure. The next one, Brando, is the future of rebreathers. Yeah, yeah. He says that 69% of current rebreather divers are convinced that rebreathers will replace standard open circuit diving gear as the dominant form of tech diving in the next five to 10 years. Maybe. Definite maybe. Uh, They've been saying it for a while, though. I've I've been hearing the five to 10 years for 25 years. Right. Is the only thing. And listen, I, I agree. You know, somewhere in the future, you, I, I think you'd be a fool to say that um, the technology is not going to grow enough to get better to the point where it makes sense to be on a breather. I don't know if it's going to be in five to ten years, but at one point, I truly do believe that we will look back to these days and laugh about all those bubbles we just, <laughs> you know, blew blew away with, with with no no regard, no care. But you know how easy. You're gonna have to make right re- rebreather dive. It's gonna have to be. I mean, it's gonna have to be so easy, like changing a coffee filter and coffee grounds in the yeah. morning and making a like you could just do it mind dead on autopilot. But before it's it's gonna completely change the game. I agree. They, they, they say that scuba divers who had never been diving with a rebreather were receptive to the idea that they would likely eventually do so, with 57% <laughs> of them stating it was likely or extremely likely. 
you mentioned it's got to become easier. So until they get the price point down, because it's way more expensive to go breather than it is to do open circuit, way more expensive, even tech diving, if you don't count the helium. Okay. Helium is the only factor that pushes people into a breather. Especially in that, you know, less than 200 foot range for sure. Exactly. So if helium were as cheap as air, you'd really be having a hard time selling the breather now simply because the time commitment, the maintenance, the work required on every single dive is crazy compared to open circuit. Yeah, because, I mean, in reality, you got to have the machine, but you still got to have all the open circuit gas yep. if everything takes your shit. <laughs> and you know, rags. So you, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, so to, to, to dive it in a way that you're really covered, I mean, it's way more equipment. And I get it if you're doing 300, 400, 500 foot deep dives on the regular. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you need it for the economy of the gas. Very small market right it's there. Been introdu- <laughs> yes, it, it's been introduced into the recreational world and the, the light technical because of what you say, yeah, just because helium is getting so expensive. But I agree with you. If, if that were not the case, the justification wouldn't be there. Right. It'd be a hard market to make any money at. The next one, Brando, is they looked at consistency in the quality of the experience. Of diving? Or the instruction. So after looking at, you know, the panicky divers, the instructors cutting corners, he says, what about quality control? They say that 70% in this survey of dive instructors consider the quality assurance done by training agencies insufficient to ensure that consumers have an excellent experience in dive courses. Well, that says a lot (laughs) right there. He says, so we're cutting corners. And we can't trust the quality of the experience we provide to consumers. That's food for thought. We have work to do. I mean, so meaning, you know, the the industry, we we can get better. So the next one is the dive computer market features and usage amongst scuba divers. Uh, He said that they wanted to understand how many divers use dive computers, how they plan their dives, and what features are the most essential or missing. And he says that historically, uh, transmitters were seen as an additional failure point by the tech diving community, but it appears that that's not the case anymore, where 30% of tech divers indicated that during their tech dives, they use a wireless transmitter matched to their dive computer to read cylinder pressure i've had them not a fan yeah yeah you and me both i mean we're, i think we both have been very uh vocal over the years of not being a fan of uh, of the transmitters it's just not needed especially from us coming from a, a time where they were so problematic for so many years i can understand that some of the new ones you know they, they work so much better but i still fall to the point as well of you can do that in your head pretty simply I agree 100%. And when you move to the point of trying to learn that the looking at the pressure is a confirmation that your head's in the right place rather than looking at the pressure to find out how much pressure you have, <laughs> right? Right. that's really what you want to try to do when you look at that mm-hmm. gauge. Whether it's digitally displayed to you via a transmitter or a needle on the gauge, the thinking needs to be, you in your brain sure already know what that number is going to say. 
And that's that's exactly how we uh, we kind of dive. So yeah, it just becomes an added point of failure. And and I know they're more reliable now, but most of the people I talk to that have a uh, transmitter, they still carry an analog as their backup. And I'm like, well, what is the point of this? <laughs> right. They don't have to unclip and look at it. I don't know. I, I just think that the ease of being able to see your gas when you look at your computer is worth the extra electronic failure point underwater. It's just not worth it to me. So, And I remember when they came out, I was one of the first ones buying them. Right. When we look at the, the, the survey, they, they looked at you know uh, the percentage of respondents uh, ranking factors that they found important in deciding which computer to purchase. were looking at the quality of the computer. Nearly 90% are looking to whether or not the computer handles nitrox and what algorithm the computer actually uses. So nowadays, you know, with with all the different algorithms that are available in a dive computer, you know, a a decade ago, you just bought a computer and hopefully it did nitrox for you as well. Now people are actually looking at the different varying algorithm models available out there. You know, 88% almost looking at whether or not it uh, will handle trimix and helium mixes, whether or not it'll do open and closed circuit. 60% still considering the brand of the computer. And it's about 30% are interested in whether or not that that computer does have wireless capabilities. In the olden days. The olden days. The numbers were, you know, 98% weren't so much looking at the quality, Brando, but they were looking at what computer did my dive instructor wear, right? And that's what that's what most people ended yeah. up going with. Whereas here in this survey, only 16% of people said that they considered the computer that their instructor was wearing. Wow. And I, I would say that that's, things have definitely changed, but I think that that's got a lot to do with how much ready information is out there on the market nowadays, you know, well, with... Yeah. Yeah. With with the internet right there, right? Yeah. I mean, the uh, student or diver uh, coming into the shop that's looking for training, certification, whatnot, they're way more educated coming into the shop now than they used to be. You know, remember the Yellow Pages? Oh, yeah. The Yellow Pages was the number one way, like 98, 99% of the people coming in the door for classes got your name through the Yellow Pages. Correct. You know, nowadays, obviously, it's... It's Googled, and then there's 10 more pages that pop up of of research on the thing that they're going to ask. So when the consumer does come in, they've already got a generally a, a pretty healthy dose of information. It's not like the olden days where you could walk into a dive shop and um, you just expected the person standing at the dive shop to give you all the information that you were seeking. Most people come in already having a lot of that knowledge in their head. Right. And then when it comes to purchasing equipment, they can really, uh, they can listen to podcasts even. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. People can get a lot more information, come in to the shop with a lot more uh, information. They don't have to just trust the person behind the counter. And I, I mean, you see this at the dive shop too, that there are people coming into the shop that know more, you know, not necessarily you, but they know more than the person behind the counter. I think what you're getting at is it's the, the quality of the experience, which is the next survey that he's getting to right and he says that after looking at dive instructors cutting corners and scuba divers panicking what about quality control and the survey found that 70 percent of dive instructors consider the quality insurance done by training agencies insufficient to ensure that consumers have an excellent experience in the dive courses and 
this moves on to just the, the that whole overall experience. It's a it's a different world today than it was 25 years ago, and you need to have a, a quality shop with a quality staff in there. They they found in the survey that there's a lot more to this customer satisfaction than just a respect for training standards, and we need somebody with a big vision to look at all these little issues. You know, Darcy says in this that uh, we can't expect a miracle. Lack of consistency in the quality of the experience in the dive industry isn't going to fall from the sky. We need somebody in a position of leadership in the dive industry to have a good enough vision of the future to make it happen. The rewards will come, just not in the short term. He says here in this survey, right, the link between consistency and the quality of the experience, quality assurance and branding. Lousy customer service and miserable experiences turn people away from diving. Nobody, quote unquote, needs to dive unless it's your job, but we're not talking about consumers here. He says, if scuba diving comes with hassles, people will turn away. Some divers want excitement, adrenaline, and challenges. That is different than making them jump through hula hoops and hassles to get what they want. People can get what they want fun and adventure and relaxation in many other activities. And worse, if a diver feels like he's risked his life when doing a scuba tryout, they're going to run away. He says, we have very little quality assurance in the dive industry, yet real quality assurance is the single most powerful tool to ensure consistency in the quality of the experience at all locations displaying your brand flag. That is what should tell customers what they can expect at that location. And he says that in that regard, we don't have a reliable brand name in the scuba diving industry because quality assurance is not thoughtfully implemented. Brando Darcy says that to produce consistency in the quality of the experience all around the world, we should look at consolidating a training agency with a dive gear manufacturer and a chain of local dive shops and dive resorts. In such a niche industry like scuba diving, we won't have much of an impact if we raise the bar only at one of the dive industry stakeholders. You know, and, and he's looking earlier on about, you know, consolidation and that quality assurance between, you know, divers and the dive industry and the brands and the divers. And again, I think this goes back to a, a lot of the stuff that we said. It, it's such, you know, the, the diving industry, as far as the industry goes, is still pretty young and it started from so many different places. And like it, it's all merging together in a spot now that. I agree. I, I think there is a need for a major restructuring of the way everything's presented. What it actually is, I don't know, but it's going to be an interesting thing to see how things develop in the coming future. Well, I mean, we do have the RSTC, like that's supposed to be over kind of everything here in, here in the States, but I don't hear much out of them. It's, yes, it's there, but it's not really being implemented. It's not in doing this, anything. It, yeah. It's not doing anything. It, it's there as, as like, as lip service. A lot of it is. A lot of the gear manufacturers require dive shops to be real dive shops with real divers, but it's not necessarily the case in a lot of the, a lot of the places you go. 
brands have standards requiring trained service technicians on staff, which isn't always the case everywhere you go, right? And, and that's what he's getting at is, is there's an inconsistency to what we're wanting the industry to be and what's actually out in the field. And these things all need to be addressed in the coming future, which is where we kind of end uh, this little uh, look back at 2022 and a peak at 2023 with this uh, diving market surveys. Darcy says our plans for 2023 already we are running a new survey digging further into the quality of the experience this time at the entry level and we're planning to publish the results in March and if you haven't yet please take part in it and uh, you can go over to um you know, scubanomics and uh, jump on that little uh, survey monkey survey about the quality and satisfaction that he's got over there. And I would recommend all of our listeners to get over there and give it a go. Uh, We're also planning a uh, follow-up to uh, the dive computer survey, he says, especially with the arrival of the new Apple dive computer in the dive industry. And uh, they're going to get further into uh, the topic of diving with rebreathers, especially with the upcoming rebreather forum for that's going to be in April over in Malta. Yeah, a lot of good stuff on uh, the old scubanomics. Yeah, very cool stuff. Um, I, I mean, if you're in the industry, especially, I mean, th- there's a lot of interesting stuff that pops up all the time. You know, good discussion definitely to be had. Um, I know uh, we have just a lot of divers that listen to our show, but we also have a lot of people in the industry, you know, on our show. So I think it's fun to kind of take a look at this every now and uh, again, and hopefully it, you know, drums up even a little bit more discussion between our little community that we have here on the podcast. Um, Hopefully it gets a couple more emails sent to us Mm -hmm. like we've been getting in, you know, and, uh, we can take a closer look at it too as we move throughout 2023. Speaking of 2023, how how are your balls? Well, <laughs> well, my balls are in great shape because I this year for the first time in a long time I've actually have been keeping the resolutions that I've made about it's only a balls couple of days. 2023. <laughs> it's only a couple days, dude. Come on, it's uh, it's nearly two weeks in. How many people are still keeping up their uh, New Year's gym resolution that they made? Well, my wife is. Well, good for her. Mm-hmm. Luckily, she's probably got a sponsor for her gym. Like, we have a sponsor, Manscaped, that's keeping our tools nice and happy for our significant others, clean and tidy all year long. And Manscaped's got the tools for our jewels. That way, we can keep them looking good. Well, even if it's not all about the looks and it's more about the function, as in uh, divers, P-valves. And don't forget about the function of the Platinum Package 4.0. It's a perfect start to the New Year resolution with good intentions. People, you can join the 7 million people worldwide who trust Manscaped with our exclusive offer. Go to manscaped.com and use the code TGDP to get 20% off and free shipping. That Platinum Package, Brando, don't forget, it's got all of your Manscaped favorites, including the classics like the Lawn Mower 4.0 Trimmer, the Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, Even better, the package adds the ultra-premium body wash, ultra-premium two-in-one shampoo and conditioner, ultra-premium deodorant, and you get two free gifts in there, too. Not bad. Oh, it's a good deal, man. And and as soon as you're done with that, are you going to go grab an Abyss coffee? Yes, don't forget, people, to go over to Abyss 
coffee, theabyscoffeecode.com, and insert the code. We got a new code. It's TGDB10. TGDP10 is the new code. Hey, everybody, get over there to the Abyss Coffee Co. and order some of those new coffees and teas she's got. She's got a couple new couple new flavors in there. Looking good. We got a couple tea, tea samplers. Yeah, I was going to say, I just saw a post come on Instagram. So. Yeah, everybody, get over there to the abyscoffeeco.com and uh, make your order there and get over to manscaped.com. Don't forget the code TGDP at checkout. Get 20% off free shipping. Uh, it's a new year, everybody. Cheers to being clean and comfortable. And hy- hyped up on the bean. You know what Brando always says? New year, no pubes. <laughs> <laughs> Make 2023 a good one. I don't know Man's if I've game. ever, I don't know if I've ever, ever said that. <laughs> Brando, should we sign some log books about on this uh, survey? I'm going to, we got to, we got to get, uh, get going here. So um, a look back at 2022, sneak peek into 2023. Um this thing's gonna kill me to one. edit. This is this is a, a, a dear Jamesy. Ninety nine point nine percent of me says this is gonna be a bitch to edit because it's almost two hours long. Sixteen <laughs> percent of me <laughs> is thrilled that you're doing it, uh, while eighty percent of me has mixed feelings. Okay. All right, everybody. We'll talk to you next week.